Hello and welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast. Just a massive thank you to whoever you are listening to this. Before we start, just to remind you that we do this podcast two, three times a week. But we don't always know which day it's going to be on, so there's only one way to know, and that is to subscribe and get notifications. Why not drop us a review while you're there? Right, enough about that. Let's talk some rugby. Welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast. I'm Ben James. I'm joined today by Telegraph rugby writer Charlie Morgan. How are you doing, Charlie? Good, thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me again, mate. No worries. Always a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Um, it's an exciting time. So obviously, the Six Nations is on the horizon uh, just today. Eddie Jones named his uh, England squad. Um, and it's interesting selection, isn't it? Yeah, hugely. I mean, interesting for a start in that it doesn't seem, in some ways, it doesn't seem like such a big departure from the squad he uh, he had out in Japan at the World Cup. I think he included 22 players from that tournament when we were expecting sort of a big rebirth. There's a big big contingent of uncapped players. A lot of them, as ever with Eddie Jones, a lot of them will be... I mean, it sounds harsh to say sink or swim, but a lot of them will be. We might not see them too much of them in the future. A lot of some of them, they might be become more established names. But what's good is that um, he well, he feels he's refreshed it. The only guy who's probably been a casualty of that World Cup squad is is Dan Cole. Jack Noel isn't there, but that's because he's undergoing a an ankle operation, and obviously. Um, They've they've lost Billy Vinopola through injury. Another couple of guys um, from the World Cup squad have been in and out of their club size due to, due to injury. So it's funny, kind of a, a bit a bit of old, bit of new, and and as ever, very excited when exciting with the Six Nations around the corner. And, and Billy Vinopola is obviously a massive loss. I guess it's it's probably overly simplistic to sort of say that England had a very good year last year because. For the first time in a long time, Eddie Jones got to put out Billy Vunapola at eight and Manu Tuolagi at 12, uh, 13 or whatever. But that does play a big role, doesn't it, when you've got sort of them two fit and having Billy Vunapola injured again it, it is is a massive blow. Yeah, completely. I mean, I don't think it's oversimplistic to say that at all, mate. He, um, you know, it's the first time in Eddie Jones' reign that he's he, in his... Tenure, sorry, it's rain. But he's had um he's had Billy Vinopola, sorry, both Wooden Polars and two Laggy fit for sort of the um for most of the year. And it was the year I mean we t- we talked I think the last World Cup cycle maybe dispelled the kind of notion that you have to build up for four years to a world to a World Cup. You know, we saw um South Africa come together at fairly short notice under Razi Erasmus with England. Their first team um became only really became apparent months before the World Cup. That's when Curry and Underhill were finally fit at the same time. Um, in the Six Nations before that, that was when um, Vunipo- the Vunipola brothers and Tuilagi were fit at the same time. With Billy Vunipola, it's, I mean, it's devastating for him. Um, today, Eddie Jones uh, mentioned Mel Meninga, the NRL legend. I think he broke his arm three times in the space of two years. That's now four for Billy Vunipola, which has got to be just devastating for him as an individual. Um, but the thing about him as a player is that Clearly, he's a game line threat. Clearly, he breaks tackles. Um, but there's so much more to his game. You know, he's a sharp passer. He, he, he kind of covers the backfield from restarts. He's a really important part of England's line-out operation. He's, you know, he's a really nimble lifter in the middle there. Um, you know, and he's and he's he's not exactly uh, he doesn't exactly shirk defence either. His, his tackle counts haven't been huge, but that's because in recent times with England, that's because he's been playing with two tearaway flankers. But you know, he's a good he's a good he's good over the ball. He's a good break, breakdown disruptor. He offers so much, and he and he's sort of you know his his kind of 
that all round kind of um, the all round nature of his game allowed Underhill and Curry to kind of really to to be let off the leash in the World Cup. Now, how England um, they've obviously had to cope without him before. What was really interesting was what the, the kind of ace in their pack in that in that sense is is John Mitchell as a coach. He um, his first assignment was when he came in alongside Jones was to have an autumn a series of autumn internationals without Vanipola. He teamed um, Underhill and Brad Shields up and they moved Mark Wilson to eight. I feel like there's going to be this time. He mentioned today Ben Earl, um, Lewis Ludlam and Tom Curry as potential replacements at eight. I think the first priority um, will be to keep Tom Curry and Sam Underhill together and they might sort of um, bolster that by... Um, by whacking someone like Courtney Laws at six. There's young Ted Hill. He's only got one cap. He's in the squad as well. But he's that sort of rangy line-out option. Um, just somebody that can you know, make a load of tackles, hit a load of rucks. Um, and then that way you keep Curry and Underhill together. But it's, it's a huge loss. And it's a really how they uh, respond to it is going to be really interesting, not only for this tournament, but for, but for the years ahead, I think. It's interesting there you sort of said about the last World Cup cycle being the sort of one to maybe dispel the fact the the idea that you need four years Um, I've been saying something similar because you look at Wales I think Wales pretty much started their World Cup cycle 2017 summer I mean there was a crisis meeting in 2016 between Martin Phillips and Gatland to sort of say what are we doing but Mm. if you look at the breakdown between the two years it was they gave out three caps between 2015 and 2017 22, 23 between 2017 and the World Cup Ireland, yeah. on the other hand, probably started their rebuild after the 2015 World Cup and then peaked 2018 and sort of had fell away this year. So I was yeah. quite, quite, quite surprised because I thought, you know, learning from that, teams would maybe, you know, hold on to what they've got there, the assets, you know, that aren't going to go away for a little bit and then start to look to build. But, you know, yeah. we've seen Wales have sort of done things with an eye on 2023. England perhaps have. I, I was interested to sort of see how the sort of the six six nation squad have come together. I don't know what your thoughts are on on the squads. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, if you if you think about England, that they were 2016 coming off obviously the disappointment of 2015 and Eddie Jones coming in. He kept a lot of Stuart Lancaster's players, yeah. and he was rewarded that continuity, that experience was rewarded with a Grand Slam, first you know first one in a long time for for England. Um, this time round, I think it's a totally different skill for Eddie Jones as a as a coach coming in, getting a short sharp, uh, short sharp shot, getting a reaction. It's totally different to kind of last in the course of a four year cycle and then trying to re-energize a group of players when there'll be so much disappointment around from how they um, how they performed in that in that um, World Cup final against South Africa. Now, the, looking at the squad, you know there are eight uncapped players, so there is enough enough freshness for it to feel um like a like a you know regenerated side he's also got you know whereas other squads have new head coaches obviously Wayne Pivak and, and Andy Farrell um Franco Smith with Italy um England have another a couple of new assistants in in Simon Amor and, and Matt Proudfoot so that's gonna that's gonna kind of bring a bring a new energy and a new perspective which which I guess helps um you know, you look at some positions with England, that's and that's where you'd think he's holding on because maybe I think so if you look at just take Scrum Half, 
Um, there's two scrum halves in there as as kind of official, fully fledged senior squad squad members, um, Ben Youngs and Willie Hines. Now that if 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 you already thought that England had a problem problem at scrum half, that's not going to dispel um, dispel those concerns. Now, where where what's quite interesting is that one of the two apprentice players is Alex Mitchell, really highly rated nine from Northampton Saints. Kind of has been he played for England against the Barbarians just before um, the World Cup, yeah. and he was excellent. And then he got injured, unfortunately, in that game. Had a really um, really uh, quite nasty knee injury, and he's only just coming back to full fitness. So hasn't actually played for Saints yet this season he's kind of the the coming man in that regard and you know maybe with a strong I mean he was he was really challenging Cobra Shrinek for us for his Saints spot last season which is kind of a mark of how how well he was going um so you know that's that's the area that's the kind of in between so he's, he's obviously picked a lot of um, uncapped players banking on a few of them sticking around for the course of this cycle and I think there'll be gradual regeneration um over kind of the next over the next four years, but but gradually r- rather than the wholesale changes at the start. And Jones has said that all along. In fairness to him, you know he's he's been around the block. He's now taken three sides to World Cup finals. So you know he knows what he's doing. He knows how to to navigate and negotiate the challenges of a World Cup cycle. I guess it's probably a fairly similar story with Wales, isn't it? Because if you look at the breakdown of their squad, the vast majority is the bulk of what Warren Gatland worked with a lot of the players that he had started to sort of blood and then the the young the, you know the five uncapped players obviously one of them is Johnny McNichol because the Barbarians game in in the uh, November wasn't capped and the other four are all English which I guess is Wayne Pivak has put a great emphasis on identifying Eng, you know English based talents and maybe that's a case of Wales having their cake and eating it a little bit in terms of looking for a lot of sort of English based players to sort of nab with the 60 cap rule and and, and strengthen the the playing pool so it, it's as much looking towards strengthening the regions and strengthening the the playing pool as it is looking towards 2023 I guess yeah sure and and I don't think you can begrudge him from doing that but if you look at someone like Nick you know, Nick Tompkins player I first saw in the 2014 under 20 um, finals seen sort of little bits and bobs of him in the age groups before that but in that he's just a hugely tenacious player in that game so he was at outside centres South Africa's um, centres in that final Jesse Creel and Andre Estes and huge huge men even at that age and I remember I think I think Tompkins had a pretty serious shoulder injury but he soldiered through that game he's been excellent you know Saracens are so fond of him because he's always stood up in international periods he's he's really patient behind Marcelo Bosch and Brad Barrett um he's after after Saracens signed Alex Zosowski you know he's persevered there I'm sure he had well you know you guys have reported on the fact that he had opportunities to go to go elsewhere to head over to Wales it's been really cool to see him um see him get rewarded in that way because it was almost as if he was between two generations you know he's a couple of years younger than Henry Slade and then you've got so, t- so today uh, Fraser Dingwall was selected a kind of uncapped um, outside centre who was England at the 20s captain last year so there are going to be players like that that just fall through the gaps that's just the, na- the nature of England's player pool and I think um, it's just a really sharp, opportunistic move from from Wayne Pivak for a couple of reasons, actually. So, yeah, no, I'm totally on board with that, and, and looking forward to seeing how how someone like like Nick goes. So, as as Wales fans, what what can we expect from him? Because he, he just strikes you as like the the archetypal Saracens player. There's just like 
which you know I don't know what that means nowadays but um, you know he's just just sort of just a guy who just does the job as far as yeah I mean I know what you mean um, maybe sort of a kind of yeah maybe that kind of a dubious honour given <laughs> yeah, what's exactly, gone on yeah. in the last in the last few few months but and as far as just the play their playing side goes that's his, that's exactly right you know he's he's streetwise he's tough um he's he's a very wholehearted defender who understands defensive systems very well um in attack he's very low slung he's very very um very perseverant in the, in the contact area you know he'll fight through fight through tackles get those extra extra yards and he'll work hard on the floor to make to make sure that ball will be recycled you know he's a, and he's an underrated distributor as well really clever support lines he's just just one of those very rounded clever players and however however Wayne Pivak wants to use him he'll be a real asset I think and it just seems like a no-brainer to sort of bring in someone like him and a specialist 13 who, who can just you know is adept at stepping into to successful sides as he does with Saracens, rather than sort of shifting, say, a Josh Adams or a George North, which is, you know, what had been sort of talked about for a long period of time before the squad was announced, because that never really works, does it? No, I think some, somewhere like thirteen, especially that, that the defensive um, responsibilities you've got in that channel in, in Test rugby is just so difficult. And um, and actually, likewise, there's defensive responsibilities you've got as a winger now, given that you know, given that how kicking games have evolved, given how defensive systems have evolved to have those wingers up flat and to be, you know, look at look at how much work South Africa's wings kind of did during the during the knockout stages of the, of the World Cup. You know, they were they were two of their absolute stars, both you know. But I know Ches and Cole, we got huge um, plaudits for how he went with ball in ball in hand. But him and Pimpy were excellent in defence as well. Just they were kind of they underpinned how aggressive they could be in defence because their decision making and because of their uh, persistence to just keep shooting up and you know making those shuttle runs. So they're both such specialist positions now, both sides of the ball. And uh, you know, obviously Jonathan Davis has just been superb there. So um, on both sides of the ball. So yeah, totally agree. I think if you're shoehorning. It, it would be as kind of sh- it's very short term thinking, I think, to be to be shoehorning one of those guys there. And and you know the other the other thing is that I'd say that um, you know, Josh Adams has gone really well. I think jo- George North will be under a bit of heat from depending on whether Lewis Lewis Reece Summit's fit. I think there's there's going to be a really big decision to be made there too. Yeah, that's the other exciting thing is back three, isn't it? Uh, that you know, it, it felt sort of cruel for a time that Wales had all these back three riches, and then centre just was so sort of bare. But thankfully, the the, the emergence of Nick, Nick Tompkins as a selection it, it sort of eased that. But obviously, we're waiting on Lewis Reece Samet. By the time this podcast goes out, you know there could be more updates on him. But it is an exciting part of of Wayne Pivak's sort of um, squad, isn't it? Yeah, he. If we if we look at him just briefly, I've just been so impressed by you know, when you when a when a young player comes through. You, I think back three players, young back three players, can impress immediately with just their raw materials. Um, you know their size, their speed, their explosiveness. Um, Lewis Reece Summit seems to have all of that, but he also seems to have such poise on the ball, and that's that's that bodes so well for him given given what we've seen from. Pivac's sides in the past and what we know his philosophies to be as a coach you know he'll want um, that's why someone like Johnny McNichol I've got no doubt will, will kind of thrive in the same sort of system because you know he's he'll be um, he'll be encouraged to roam off that wing and be that 
be a distributor in a second wave you know he'll get a lot of touches and he'll get a lot of kind of um it, it, that his distribution will be really it'll be really important his game sense will be really important and with resummit that's just been so um so obvious from so early on and that's the most impressive thing about him he just, he just looks his he, he's he doesn't look there's a real conviction about him and, and about his positioning about the kind of the nitty the nitty-gritty of um of kind of senior rugby which is just is just kind of he's really exuded a kind of an aura of calm and, and poise which is um hugely impressive and kind of bodes well for him as he moves through the levels too so that the funny thing with like George North in this country is everyone always talks about touches of the ball and the amount of touches yeah. George North gets, which is why some people want to move him to the centre because they think you know you you move one place inwards and, and you're going to get more touches. Reece Samick gets touches, but they're quality touches, and I think a lot of that comes down to his reading of the backfield and his reading of the game, so he knows where to pop up, which is an incredible skill to sort of have that reading and then be able to influence games at the age he is. Yeah, hugely, and it, and it speaks a lot to how hard he's working in those games as well. Um, there's always a balance to be struck when you, th- you think of kind of um, wings in the in the Premiership, like Jack Noel and Johnny May. They've really um, found a, a balance to their game between roaming and you know looking for work and and hitting those lines off off scrum halves and fly halves, but also being out wide when um, there's space on the edge and when the teams can move the ball to an edge um, Resummit just to watch him in that game he played um, against Montpellier not last weekend the weekend before he, he didn't miss out on those chances you know he's, he's, he scored um, scored in the corner from a tip on from Jason Woodward but he was he was stringing passes he's stringing touches together you know in, in phase play and I think that's a, it's a real you know, it's a real endorsement of of Gloucester's coaches. I spoke to their skills coach Rory Teague about him, and and they said that, that he, that's been a really big focus for him. But it's a, you know, it's a, it's a bigger endorsement of his appetite to learn, his appetite to take on take on um, take on that information that he's been given from from the coaches and and use the license that they, he's been given. Um, it's 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 looking pretty good for him all around. I'd say you know, if he, I really really hope he can shake off this injury. Absolutely. Um, what else, looking at this Wales squad, has sort of excited you or, or intrigued you? Because I guess there are a sort of other, you know, few few interesting areas, aren't there? Yeah, as ever, um, the back row. It's um, it's going to be great that uh, Tulipa Felatau's going to be fit for the first time in a while. I mean, that to me, when you think of um, when you think of how they went at the World Cup. They did phenomenally well to get to get to to get to the semi-final to get fourth. Um, he might have just that extra X factor when you think about how he's played in now two consecutive Lions tours. That extra bit of mobility, explosiveness in the back row as a carrier, um, Wales did phenomenally well to um, to kind of not paper over the cracks because that's, that's kind of directly to the players that that were there, but to do to do without him. I thought the yeah, back row yeah. did brilliantly in the World Cup, and now to just have that on top of the foundation that they've got, there is going to be, you know, in in every twenty three even that uh, Wayne Pivac picks, there's going to be one or two phenomenal back rowers that don't that don't make it and and that's just that's a huge endorsement I think um, you know there's a few that haven't even made the squad yeah like yeah. someone like Tame Basham Shane Lewis Hughes two yeah. guys who were called up for the Barbarians game um, 
I think they're two guys who Sam Warburton would have recently, although he didn't name them, he, he, he sort of heavily implied that these two are, are, are future Lions tourists. Yeah. Uh, and neither of them made the squad. That just shows you that, that you know, the, the squad, the, the back row depth in Wales is just still sublime. And it'll, it'll be interesting to see how Falatau does in, in sort of Wayne Pivak's style because, we, we you know, we've seen... Falatau really thrive when he went to Bath because of how they sort of structure with pods and it allows him to get into wider channels and looking at how Wales played against the Barbarians you saw both Justin Tipperick and Aaron Wainwright working really well in tandem out wide so yeah. you know we, we could get maybe you know Tipperick and Falatau maybe working in tandem out wide which is, is a mouth-watering prospect on paper. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and then just and just kind of elsewhere, that battle between between the nines. I think I think we Reese Webb's return is interesting, but I do I do think at the minute that he's a, wouldn't say significantly because he's got that you know he's a, he's a test line. He's got that he's got that experience coming in, coming back in, and he'll be energised by I'm sure by having the chance to stake his claim for Test rugby again. But I think Gareth Davies and Thomas Williams can really push each other to to new heights really um and i think the way they're because the way they're playing is right at the cutting edge of what what international nines are doing so they're really as they're real assets to their side in defense which is really i think we'll see in the six nations probably kind of defensive structures probably break up a bit and you'll have more of those you know gareth davis absolute master of that uh, that one man raid i think that license will continue and actually I think that as a tactic will be more and more prominent and it'll be interesting to see how that gets that gets used by across the teams but Wales are right at the forefront of it and you know that just the pace that they can inject and, and the threat they pose as runners that's going to be really interesting and I think just it's, it's a real really interesting tournament for the coaches and for the new slants that the new coach the new head coaches can put on their teams and I think um, you know Pivak is certainly um, it's, it's just fascinating to see what he, what he'll be able to do with this with this group of players. Yeah, we'll, we'll get on to sort of different coaches and different slants on teams, but it's interesting you talk about sort of the, the defensive nature of the, of the scrum halves because obviously Gareth Davis he gets all the sort of plaudits, but I, I really like the way that Thomas Williams defends. I remember you pointed it out in a piece quite a while back. It was um, a try that he set up for Owen Lane at the Arms Park against Leon, I think, where obviously. Gareth Davis likes to fly out the line, but I think Thomas Williams sort of sat back and instigated the counter-attack as maybe, I think it would have been like a first receiver off a knock-on. He, he sort of, it was just, it just it just allowed him, it gave him a freedom in a different way. A bit. So he, he sort of, I guess it was like an old-school sweeper, but it, it just, it was, a, it was like a different freedom for him. And I, I've had, a, I've heard a few sort of people knock him, knock his defence because you know, occasionally he misses the odd one-up tackle, but I think when you do things like that, it gives you license to sort of, you know, you, you need to view defence in a different way, which I get. I guess we're sort of moving towards, aren't we, this year? Yeah, hugely. I think just the raw pace of of those guys, as far as disrupting, as far as pushing up, but also if they're in the front line, and there are, um, you know, if you look look at someone like Herschel Herschel Janchi's South Africa, is he if he's up in the front line and there's any sort of knock on, if there's any sort of turnover, he's quick enough to be effectively be a strike runner, and either either he's you know clearly as a, as a nine, he's a good enough distributor to move the point of attack from a turnover, but if he's a strike runner himself, as someone like Thomas Williams or someone like Gareth Davis, it are. Um, 
then you know it's just it's just another threat and it's just another another means by which a, a turnover is a, re- a really dangerous thing to concede and against a side like Wales who are who are going to be you know I, t- I totally I completely expect um, their tra- a lot of their traditional strengths to cross over to the new coaching team so I imagine that they'll, they'll be hugely steely hugely aggressive both on the floor and, and off the line um, so they will get a lot of those opportunities. I'm Sam Warburton and you're listening to the Welsh Rugby Podcast. What sort of changes are you expecting from Wales then? Because, you know, I, th- I guess you'd expect, everyone's expecting the sort of the basics of more attacking rugby, but I guess it's, it's going to be sort of more of an evolution rather than a revolution towards that, isn't it? Yeah, completely. I think there will be. I think there will be a little bit more ball movement, and um, I'd expect there to be a little bit, a little bit extra width. But you know, if you look at look at the way you know someone like that, it, it, you can play. If you look at someone like um, a team like Northampton at the minute, they can play with width, but they play with width because those structures are quite secure. You know, those they've always got their back rowers holding holding their depth and can, holding their width. Sorry, and conserving energy and so there's a control about how they can you know about how they can go from touchline to touchline and from center field and and pick off a blind side maybe um i expect wales to play with a bit of structure and, and you know as the kind of the, the trendies the trendy terms uh, i guess for coaches to use at, at the minute is you know using structure to get out of structure and to to force line breaks so that and then all bets are off and then it's and then it's about your um support play and broken field i expect and if you look at the squad that Pivac's picked, someone like Falatao is a, is a perfect fit for that. Someone like Tipperick is a perfect fit for that. Those nines are, are, are really, really work with that sort of way of thinking. And obviously, you've got sh- such huge, uh, huge amount of speed out wide, really dangerous steppers. Um, it, it's a it's a it's a squad made for a lot of ball movement. I feel so. I think that I think that will happen. As you say, it will be gradual, and I do believe that there's that there's really a lot of that steel and experience that means that um, there'll be there'll be a measured there'll be a measured kind of um, measured kind of angle to their decision making as well. You know, it won't be um, they won't be chucking off loads no. and, and coughing up the ball and. Um, there'll be there'll be a streetwise nature to it too. Obviously, you know, you, even though Gatland probably got a lot of criticism, he, he, towards the end of his tenure, he did look to play wide. You know, we've discussed it uh, a few times, and I guess mm-hmm. injuries stopped him from showing that at the World Cup. But towards the end, the way that he had to play wide, maybe because of the the, the centre partnership and and the halfbacks and and just the way he was playing, but it felt like everything had to be really precise and everything had to go perfectly for Wales to really get the best out of their strike runners in, in when they went wide. I feel with Pivak, maybe because we're not looking to sort of create the space by big midfield busts, we're probably going to look for gaps and, and, and find the space. Maybe there's going to be less sort of, or more room for error in, in the way that we, we go wide. I think what uh, Pivak will actually benefit from is I've been I was hugely impressed kind of by 
how the standard of of handling among Wales forwards and in particular type five forwards that definitely um, improved steadily over the World Cup cycle. Now I think if if kind of Wales play, um, if Pivac can really put a stamp on things early on, I think he'll have every chance given that he's had that extra game, that Barbarians kind of that that game sort of he's had those extra months. Um, and we've heard, haven't we, that he's he's got help from guys at the regions of playing people in certain positions, Corey Hill at six and stuff. And that's really interesting, that kind of um, collaborative side of it. I think he'll be able to benefit from the, those those type five guys getting upskilled. And, and that's that's the key uh, at the minute in, in rugby at test level. And you know, anyway, if you look at if you're if you're limited by handling and the skills of your type five, then there's only a certain way you can play. And I don't think Wales necessarily will be anymore. You know, yeah. I, and I think that's that's going to be really interesting. And that was probably the, one of the biggest killers during the World Cup. Obviously, Corey Hill got injured. Rob Evans wasn't in the squad, and and maybe I don't know was it habit or just you know sort of siege mentality but Wales fell away from using their tight five as, as ball ball handlers and that that's really sort of how Wales's sort of demise at the World Cup was was through tightening up and, 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 and trying to sort of well, I guess it's Gatland knowing best in it that maybe we can outlast teams which in fairness they nearly did completely yeah I'd say that's a, that's a really you know a good a, a good point to make it was it was a gnarled um it was a gnarled effort that got them that far and very, very nearly, you know, very nearly overturned the world champions in fairness. Um, just a couple more points, sort of maybe on Wales. Owen Williams is in the squad, which I guess English rugby writers have probably seen as much of him as Welsh rugby writers have in, in recent times because he's been out for so long. But he could be a sort of interesting selection if he does get minutes. Um, he broke through onto the test scene was two years, two, uh, two autumns ago. Looked, yep. looked quite good um, and especially when you look at how Dan Bigger's playing with Northampton a second playmaker outside Dan Bigger really makes a massive difference to his own game because it, it probably turns him into a real triple threat fly half Yeah, Dan Bigger's been a revelation at Saints I think and you're totally right to pinpoint that second distributor Rory Hutchinson's going to be certainly one of the players I'm most looking forward to watching this the Six Nations. He's got a shot with Scotland where he missed out on the World Cup squad, but he's what he's what that whole coaching setup, Chris Boyd, Sam Vesti, Phil Dowson, what they've um, brought out of Dan Bigger is just a real, you know, he's he's been so, he's been so sharp, so ambitious. And he's talking, I think he was talking after they beat Leon about even little things like his his touch finders. You know, he wants to try and eke out another 10 metres and, and he wants to um, there isn't there isn't a sense of playing to eke out a penalty and then to kick three points there's a sense of playing so that you're you're always ultra aggressive with or ultra ambitious and not, maybe not aggressive with with how you're looking at looking at opportunities he set up a he set up a brilliant try for George George Furbank at the weekend as well I think Owen Williams had a ho- horrible time with injuries, but if he can be that second pair of eyes, I don't know whether I don't know how he'll be used. He's listed. Is he listed as a listed as a ten in the squad? Yeah, in the squad. Jared, uh, Jared Evans has had a, a HIA sort of problem last few weeks, so he, he can't yeah, I mean, be there as fly half cover. It's, it's it's one of those picks, isn't it? You know, it might be that he's he doesn't get a lot of um, game time in this. Um, 
in the Six Nations. But as you say, if it, it's kind of a, it's a real carrot for him maybe to come back to Wales at the end of this um, Gloucester contract, and it's yeah. a sign that he isn't he is in Wayne Pivac's thinking. I think I was very fond of him when he was at, at Leicester, you know, because he was. He, he was really tough in when he when he did move to twelve and he was operating outside to outside another playmaking ten. Um, he really fronted up physically and, and that's kind of kind of the mark of him. Got him into trouble a few times. I think he broke a jaw while he was while he was at Leicester. Really nasty injury, um, but no, really a lot of. Um, a lot of time on the ball when it's going well for him and um, he'll only benefit from from being around Pivac's setup. I'd say. Funnily enough, I think he's out of contract in the summer. Yeah, there so you go. So there you go. Um, since the first Six Nations um, since uh, the World Cup in Japan, um, load of new coaches, load of new faces. Um, what sort of tactical trends are you expecting then to see uh, in the next two months? <laughs> I think um, I think as we've spoken about the, the kind of the how defences are going. I think there's going to be less uh, less kind of um, emphasis on on structure, more so on on disruption. So if you look at someone like Faf de Klerk in the World Cup, was kind of given that given just total freedom almost. It seemed like he was he was kind of some every now and then he was in that kind of shallow sweeper. Um, position as you'd see from nines maybe 10 15 years ago he'd be in the front line a lot he'd, he'd alternate between those two to sort of there'd be a degree of deception with what he was doing so he was almost rushing and um flustering key playmakers you know throughout the last couple of years actually since Razi Erasmus came in he it's been just the the New Zealand South Africa games were fascinating for um how fast the clerk was gonna gonna ruffle Aaron Smith. It was it was amazing to watch really. I think it'll be really interesting to see whether how the the kicking kicking kind of trends um develop. Um box kicking's been a total scourge for a lot of spectators over this kind of recent period, whether um that just becomes more important because teams are kind of tighten up or whether um, we see guys taking, you know, setting up box kicks, maybe trying to, trying to catch teams cheating by dropping players back into the backfield and then moving the ball from, from their own territory. Um, that'll be really interesting too. There's kind of... Because we saw um, Cobus Reinex done that a few times this year, hasn't he? Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I think did Faf do it in the World Cup final as well? Yeah, I think it was... So it was kind of a... It was a kind of um, it was a fluff ruck, so it was kind of oh, okay. um, it was he sort of adapted on the fly, but it was certainly I th- I got a feeling kind of just looking at looking at South Africa playing a few times and and Rynek's done it a few times definitely deliberately since he's been back at Saints that it must have been sort of in their thinking and you know don't you kind of when you're how many times I mean South Africa kicked the ball so many times in that Wales game it was almost yeah. there, there was. I don't, I don't, you know, don't subscribe to the view that that South Africa held anything back. But at the same time, I think a lot more clicked for them in the final um, against England as it as it did against Wales. You know, Vili Larue was um, that that was a lot more. He was a lot more assured against England, and that brought more out of Andre Pollard. So, yeah, another t- another tactical trend I expect to see is kind of tens and fifteens working really closely as as that as those kind of distributors depending on obviously who you've got who you're picking in your midfield um i think that's 
England's selection of Furbank's really interesting in, in that regard. I imagine before his injury, Max Malins of Saracens would have been very close too. Um, so yeah, plenty of them. As I'd say, I think it, attacks are starting to get on the subjects of kind of structure. Um, attacks are starting to get, you know, with the rise of interceptions and um, with Gareth Davis doing what he's doing. I found it fascinating that Brad Moore uh, deliberately um, stationed him in midfield to try and get after that was that was just so cool to hear that insight. But that's that's kind of a it's a product, isn't it, of of a structured kind of of a structured attack getting found out. Kind of too much structure when you're always hitting the middle guy of that pod. Whether that whether that changes up, um, you know, for me, Japan were more than most. Which which Pardon me. Japan were fantastic to watch over that World Cup, and that was, you know, they were. Jamie Joseph was talking about structure to get out, structure, structure to get out, structure, and they were remarkably structured. But there was a freedom within that, and a confidence and a conviction of their type five guys. Shota Horie was just brilliant to watch. Um, so we'll see, we'll see. There's going to be plenty of dynamism in the squads that are going to be picked. You know, France is full of great athletes. Wales, we talk about full of speed. It's England squad. Um, given what they're going to have to do in the back row are going to be very mobile Scotland always are um, yeah so we've kind of got and then the heart of it all we've got we've got new coaches so Andy Farrell is one guy we haven't really spoken about him going from this defensive mastermind to somebody that's overseeing the whole thing that's so intriguing and I can't wait to see how that plays out yeah and then obviously you got Sean Edwards in France which yeah you know, could could be a masterstroke, or it could be like a sitcom within like six weeks, couldn't it? I, I've got a feeling that's going to be that's going to be excellent. I, I think just if you if the, you know we we kind of gloss over the fact that France have been pretty hard to break down for a while now, and then yeah. they had that absolute shocker at, at Twickenham when sort of a new an unfamiliar back three just got kicked to pieces. Yeah, but you know, always they always bring size they always bring um mobility with that size and they've got they've always had a lot of guys who are just incredibly hard in the collision hard to shift over the ball so Sean Edwards have got some seriously good raw materials there plus they got so much probably talent in transition as well haven't they yeah which uh, is like the other I side only- of the coin so it's like it is a dream it's probably a dream for Sean Edwards isn't it completely I think it's some of the offloads that Dupont was um was chucking on on Sunday against Gloucester. He is a phenomenal player, and he's kind of he epitomises what they're about. They're they're full of athleticism, um, and when they get that flow going with that with that offloading game, and then we you know Jacob Jacob Umang is one of the young guys we haven't mentioned yet. A very young fly half who, um, to be honest, a bit of an eyebrow raiser to see him above Marcus Smith and and above. Um, above Joe Simmons of Exeter. But uh, France have gone with three young fly halves, you know, so they're pinning their hopes on on one of those guys coming good. And it's going to be, and we've already seen Roman Antimak, you know, he's he's done pretty well at the World Cup. It was, it was Eddie Jones mentioned today, it was a very interesting World Cup for France and he, and he thought they came out of it in credit. Um, so, you know, they're only going to kick on towards 2023 when they're hosting it. Indeed. Um, so I guess sort of the final sort of questions are who who are you, who are you tipping to win? Well, we were just speaking, weren't we, off air? I don't think they'll be. I'd be surprised to see a grand slam. Yeah. Um. 
it's tough now. How about why not France? I think I think the game France will lose that Wales game away looks tough, doesn't it? But I think I think geez, and they're young as well. I'm talking myself out of France straight away. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the but why not? No, stick with France. I think the way the way someone like Vakatao was going for for Racing, he looks untouchable. Certainly going forward, it may be kind of a few lapses of concentration in defence, but he'll. Um, Sean Edwards won't let him get away with them. I wouldn't have thought. And um, just there's so much, so much talent there, and I think there's a real focus for them there too with with 2023. And we, I know, right at the beginning, we spoke about how cycles can kind of be misleading and can be a bit of a myth. But um, I guess it's a little bit different when it's your when it's your home World Cup, and they're just you know back to back under 20 world champions. Um, so much talent there. They've got whether they've got just looking at their schedule now, hosting England, hosting Italy, away to Wales, away to Scotland, and then hosting Ireland at the end. I think I think they can get to I think they can easily get to that Ireland game three from four. Yeah, and we'll see. Indeed, that 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 first game in uh, in Paris is is just massive, isn't it? Because yeah, that that it, it that defines it, but not quite defines it, obviously. But it um it's a huge tone setter either way. It's if England yeah. go there. If England go there, speaking to Jamie George the other day, and he said actually that sort of game is is perfect for the guys that played in the World Cup final because in a funny sort of way, playing France away is a similar sort of test to playing South Africa. You know, the big men, the scrum will be under a lot of pressure. Um, not that, not that I don't, I don't think he was, I don't think he was saying that um, Yokohama was a particularly hostile environment, but it, he will expect a hostile environment in France, and that can only focus your mind because. Um, you know, in, England. Yeah, I th- it, it it could be one of those campaigns for England with all the Saracen stuff. I don't think I don't think the Saracen stuff will affect them too too badly, just because of the the separation and the distinction they can make um, between England and the club stuff. Um, but lose that first game, and you just you know you just never know the doubts might creep in. So for both of those teams, it's absolutely monumental. I think logically after the World Cup knowing that Gatlin was going and Pivot was coming in we were expecting a bedding in period Ireland mm. new coach uh, France new coach and set up Italy um, Scotland just you know who knows where they are at the minute in, after their World Cup it, it felt like this was sort of set up for England to maybe even have a good few years but um, I guess that's the nature of the Six Nations is it? by the time you get round to February it feels like Whoever was the front runner has now been pulled back into the pack, and you've got six teams. Yeah, I, th- I think I think that's just always the case, isn't it? Yeah. I think almost almost it's, it's the anticipation, and that you kind of build up these storylines in your head. But actually, they're all starting at zero, and they're all starting for, for different for totally different reasons. And um, and yeah, I think I think we'll just find out a lot more. And it's just, you know we're talking today at the England. Um, squad announcements thinking oh, who's, who's this new who's this new face who's this new face actually I think England's 23 will be strong and settled you know regardless of regardless of this extended squad yeah exactly um, but it's just it's just what Jones can get out of them you tend to pay too much attention probably to new faces don't you because some, often they do get minutes but then often they don't and it's it's you know it's it's they're in camp and that they're learning but it, it doesn't. It doesn't make much difference to the, the settled twenty-three. No, I think. I think. I think that's that's where Jones has been. That's where. That's where Jones has kind of. That's what his methods have been. He's picked a lot. He's picked a lot of new faces. He's picked. He's had a. He's had a look at 
a lot of players and even the, even the players we're thinking there we think of eight and you think of Billy Vinopola missing out and the fact that Sam Simmons and Alex Dombrandt are there. He's had a look at Alex Dombrandt and he's had a look at Sam Simmons, however short a time that was for. So, you know, there's method there for sure. And the players that have stuck around and that have made their debuts under him and have gone on and stuck and been kind of central parts of the team, people like... Um, like Mahara Toji, like Carl Sinclair, you know, these, these guys are, have got real star quality. So, you know, he's, it, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm so intrigued as to how he, how he handles the transition between world cup, cup cycle. Cause you know, after all, he's only got, he's only got a two year contract. So yeah. we're talking about kind of cycles. He, he isn't, he isn't necessarily there for 2023. Um, I think it's kind of a see, see how it goes situation, but he's committed to these two years and, and how that goes, we'll, we'll find out. No, that's fascinating. Cause obviously you mentioned before that he, he, he inherited Lancaster's team and yeah, I guess, I don't know. He, he obviously, there was raw materials there that maybe Lancaster couldn't quite get the best out in a home world cup. So he, he rode that way for three years. And then when it started to go a little bit wrong, I mean, obviously lost to South Africa in that, in that series then he broke up that team and he moulded it in his own shape, which is why it paid dividends in the World Cup. So now, now he's coming from his from his own point of success. It will be fascinating to see what he does. Yeah, I mean, his I mean, he's aiming high. His buzzwords today were the greatest team the history of rugby has ever seen. That's there's kind of yeah. So no uh, <laughs> no half measures. But no, you're right. The, the way he, I, I was really impressed by his. It was it was impressive the way he remoulded that because it was a, it was a really pretty wretched 2018 by by any standards you know really poor really sluggish performances in the Six Nations kind of further second best maybe than the two one scoreline suggested in South Africa and then um, but with John Mitchell coming in and deserves a lot of credit it, it, there was a regeneration now it's how either how far he rides this this current England side, because it, it, a lot of it look, does look very familiar from the World Cup, or or how he goes about making changes again. And then finally, who's the who's the player you're, you're tipping to shine? I mentioned him earlier. I, I've just I've been really impressed by Northampton as a whole. So seeing actually, you can I pick two, maybe two yeah, from yeah. even that midfield. Um, Dan Bigger, just to see how he kind of translates maybe the methods of Chris Boyd, I think there's probably going to be a lot of Chris crossover between how Chris Boyd's um, had Northampton playing and, and what Pivac's going to do with Wales. And then the other, the other guys, Rory, uh, Rory Hutchinson, um, missed out on the World Cup after a, maybe, a, I think, a couple of caps in the warm-ups and has just played with this really kind of refreshing freedom, um, real vigour, um, and four saints and yeah looking forward to seeing how how scotland use him because he's in he's in such good form and he's you know excellent across the board his running games kicking game his distribution so he's gonna have to slot in somewhere brilliant well it's gonna be an exciting uh couple of months and hopefully we'll look back on this podcast in a few months and realize we got everything spot on yeah i'm sure sure high chances that's, that's always <laughs> the way it works out with this journalism malarkey in it Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's a pleasure having you on, Charlie, as always, and um, all the best, mate, for the six nights. Nice. Well, thanks for having me.